Every week we go to the Scriptures because it's there that we see the person and work of Jesus most clearly revealed. Our sermon this week is from 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll be reading 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 14. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, first, Peter, uh, this letter that we've been looking at for a few months now, uh, is a letter written to a marginalized community, the people who are being marginalized at the hands of Rome. And in chapter 4, he says, don't be surprised when suffering comes your way. When, when it does, here, here's what you're to do. You're to entrust yourself to God. But don't be surprised by it. And then in chapter 5, he, he uh, is the conclusion of the letter with some instruction to pastors and then to church members. But here's what we need to see. It's not chapter 4, you're going to suffer, and uh, when you do, entrust yourself to God, full stop. New thought, pastors, church members. It's be- because you are going to suffer, and because when you do, you, you need to entrust yourself to God that I need to say something to, to pastors and I need to say something to you about how you relate to one another. And then I need to give you a warning in the end. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this text under three headings, the shepherd, the sheep, and the lion. So let's start with the shepherd. What a shepherd is, what a shepherd does. Let's look at verse one. It says, so I exhort the elders among you, elders, that's pastors, overseers, as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, 
as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Elders, shepherd the flock. Flock, that's the, the church, but we'll get to that in a second. Shepherd the, the flock. And so here's Peter's command to elders, to overseers, to pastors, shepherd. Uh, the word pastor, it's the Latin word for shepherd, so when I use them interchangeably, that's, uh, that's why. I want you to shepherd the flock that is among you. And I, I think that probably to understand this passage, we, we need to uh, maybe redefine a bit our understanding of what shepherds are or what they were certainly uh, in the ancient world, that shepherds in this day, they, they were not um, like Mr. McFluffies who would sit around with sheep and like hold them by the cheeks and tell them how cute they were. In the ancient world, shepherds were courageous protectors. They were courageous protectors who got out in front of the flock and who led the flock and protected them from wolves and thieves and the harsh paths. They were protectors who were willing to die for the flock. That's what shepherds were in this day. They also fed the sheep. They made sure they had enough food to live and they led them to places of pasture of plenty of food. And so to a marginalized, confused, and what would have been a disoriented people. Now put yourself in the shoes of these first century Christians. Uh, they, they, uh, they, they were being marginalized, separated at the hands of the government. This would have been a confusing season. What's going on in the world right now? Sound familiar? That's the setting that he's writing into. And to a marginalized, confused, and disoriented people, Peter says, hey, pastors, here's what I want you to do. Your, your job is this. I want you to protect and to lead and to guide. Feed the sheep. Now, I need to pause and say something. Of course, there are bad pastors out there. Uh, who do not lead the sheep and who do not feed the sheep, but feed on the sheep. But that doesn't change the role of what a pastor is. There are bad parents out there, and that doesn't change the role of a parent. The role of a pastor, protect, lead. How? How does he want to shepherd? Shepherd the flock. Let's keep reading verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So here's how I want you to shepherd. I want you to shepherd by exercising oversight. Exercising oversight, this is sort of the, the controlling verb of the passage, if you will. It's the, here, here's how I want you to shepherd, exercise oversight, and he'll qualify it and give some not this, but this, but it's this, exercise oversight. Shepherd by exercising oversight. What does that mean? Well, it's not, it, it's not really the idea of like, you, you know, a, a church CEO, Right In our context, it's easy to think of pastors as organizational leaders who, who kind of lead a bottom line organization. That's not, what a, that's not what exercising oversight means. It's not CEO. The word exercising oversight, it, it, it means to, to, to take responsibility to care for someone. And I think to understand what Peter means by this when he says protect and exercise oversight, shepherd by exercising oversight, to, to know what Peter really means by this, we, we need to... We need to see the one other time this word exercising oversight was used in the Bible. It's only used one other time in the scriptures anywhere, and it's in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 15, and it says this. See to it. That, that's the same word, see to it. The same word as exercising oversight. So in First in, in Peter, it's um, see someone, care for someone, take responsibility for the people you see. Here it's translated just see to it, the same word. See to it. What are they to see to? This is key. See to it that no one fails to obtain, to obtain the grace of God. 
that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become defiled. See what Hebrews just said? See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And no root of bitterness springs up. That phrase, root of bitterness, the, the author of Hebrews didn't make it up out of nowhere. It comes from Deuteronomy 29, where God is giving a warning to Israel, and, and in the middle of that warning, he, he says, hey, listen, don't, don't let this uh, bitter root come up in you that would lead you from me, from your God, to other gods. In other words, when, when Hebrews uses it, his point is this, don't see to it that nobody falls away. And so when Peter says, shepherd the flock by exercising oversight, he's really saying, saying, Shepherd the flock of God in such a way that they don't see to it, they don't fall away. Protect them in such a way that they don't fall away, fall away from the grace of God. For us, apply, that means see, see to it that the church. <laughs> uh, oh. That was for Sojourn Kids song time. Uh, we are not doing that in here, if you are wondering. Uh, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So don't let career success lead you away from Jesus. Don't let the desire for a family lead you away from Jesus. Don't let financial hardship, and I know many of us are going through that right now, lead you away from Jesus. The role of a pastor is this, to help protect and to guide you to stay faithful to the end to not just receive the grace of God, but to live in the grace of God and be found faithful to the end to guard you from drifting and falling away. It's one of the roles of a pastor. Help you stay faithful to the end. So let's talk sheep. Look at verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So when he turns here in verse five and he turns to the church and he says, hey, I need to say something to you. He says, I need to say something. And he calls them the younger. Why? Why would he call them the younger? Well, D.A. Carson says this. Keep in mind the context that is happening. Marginalized community, deep stress, lots of confusion. Doubtless under this is D.A. Carson. Doubtless under times of stress brought about by external pressure. Sound familiar? There will be no shortage of suggestions, frequently advanced by the young, offering alternative courses of action. And this in itself could easily erupt into dissension and strife. You see, here's the point that, that, that Peter is making and that DA helps us with. Different opinions about different directions that lead to division more often come from people in their 20s than people in their 60s. Are there exceptions to this? Of course there are. There are incredibly wise 20-year-olds and incredibly immature 60-year-olds. But this is the point. So it calls them the younger in this season. Now I wanna say this, that in a church that is predominantly younger than older, there's a beauty to the idealism of our youth. There is real good that comes from a community that lives into a bit of an ideal, but that idealism has to be stewarded with maturity and seasoning and grace. 
And this is where I want to say something to you, Sojourn. In this season that we've been in, between COVID, racial tension, the election season beginning, all individually, COVID, race, election, all individually in any particular season could have split churches. And we've been in a season where all three are going on simultaneously. And you have been so wonderful to lead in this season. You have been so incredibly wonderful to lead in this season. There have been plenty of micro debates and no shortage of opinions, but it has not led to macro division on large scales. And that is a sign and mark of grace in our community. It has been a privilege to go through this season with, a, with you. A season I didn't, wouldn't want to happen again, but it's been a privilege to go through it with you. So he says to the younger, be subject to your elders. Why? Because they're there to protect you. They're not there to domineer and lord over you. They're there to protect you and help you stay faithful to the end. But now he turns from how the church is shut to, to, to interact with shepherds and pastors, but, but how you're supposed to treat one another. Like the back half of verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, here's what the arrogant do. The arrogant take advantage of one another. They use others for their own gain. The humble look out for the interest of others. Karen Jobs, who's been so helpful, she is such a wonderful theologian, so helpful understanding the book of 1 Peter, says that humility expresses itself in a willingness to serve others beyond one's self-interest. To be willing to serve others beyond your own self-interest. Clothe yourselves in that. Clothe yourselves in a posture that looks out for the good of others. And let me illustrate why this is so important, why this is a communal statement. We had some friends, my wife and I, um, when we were in Dallas who moved to Boston. Um, really, good friend, uh, really good friends of ours. They're from Texas originally, moved to Boston, but not like metropolitan Boston, like out deep kind of suburban rural Boston where it's more towny Boston, as they call it. The part of Boston where it's hard to make out words through the accents, right? And a, bit, uh, a year after they move or so, uh, we, we go up to visit them, and when we're hanging out at their house, we're talking as normal Texans do. When I go with them out in a town, I can hardly understand a word that my friend is saying. He's adopted the accent within a year. What's the point? We, we tend to assimilate into the community and start living like the community that we're a part of. And a community marked by humility cultivates humility in others. Humility begets humility. It cultivates it, not just in ourselves, but in one another as we practice it and clothe ourselves in it individually. And in that humility, what happens in a community that cultivates humility is roots of bitterness get squeezed out because I'm not consumed with what's best for me. Bitterness rises in me when I look at your life and I'm upset about my life. Instead of looking out for the interest of others and the good of others in a community where humility begets humility, roots of bitterness get squeezed out. And in that sense, we protect one another. We protect one another. We, we don't let bitterness drive someone else away from us and drive that person into isolation. We look out for the good of one another. And in the season that will be coming, 
In the next four months, as pandemic continues, racial tension remains, and the election hits full swing, the opportunity, the opportunity for division will be real, and if ever there was a time that we needed to be marked by humility, it's right now. It is right now. So here's what we have. Pastors, protect the church. The church, by your humility, protecting one another. Why is this so important? Because there is a very real lion. Look at verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Because you notice it calls the devil a roaring lion. Peter says, your, your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion. Why a roaring lion? Well, obviously, um, obvious answer that, that lions prey on the isolated sheep. That was very real world. So don't drift into isolation. No matter how exhausting Zoom gets, don't drift into isolation or you're vulnerable. But there's more to it than that. Roaring lion, it was used a few times in the Old Testament. Here's a couple of examples, prototypical examples. Proverbs 28, 15. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. Zephaniah 3. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. What's the point? Remembering that these people, these people that Peter is writing to are suffering this persecution and marginalization at the hands of Rome. Here's what Karen Job says on this. Again, she has been so helpful. In Peter's understanding of their suffering, God is using the threat that Satan presents through the hostility of society and governments. So here's the point, that the, the roaring, prowling of the devil, it, it's not just hidden spiritual forces, it's his power at work in the world, it's his power behind oppressive, unjust regimes, governments, powers in the world. It's spiritual forces and Satan's influence in the world, and he says to these people, humble yourself, resist him, be sober, be watchful, all of which are plural verbs all of which are plural verbs. It, 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 it's not, hey, you, random isolated Christian, you stand there, flex and resist him. It's you all together resist him. You all together humble yourself. You all together be sober, be watchful. Listen, protection from the devil, this roaring lion, it is a communal project, us in it for one another, protecting one another. It is a communal project. It is not the, the isolated Christian learn how to flex a little bit and fight him off. It's us together fighting him off for the good of one another. It is a communal project, which is why we cannot devour one another. We can't let our opinions lead to division. Because when our opinions create division, all we're doing is driving somebody else deeper into isolation as we drive ourselves into isolation. And when we do, we become little lions. And again, in the months to come, it is going to be easy. In the four months to come, just like the previous four months, there will be no shortage of opinions. There will be no shortage 
of directional thoughts. And they simply cannot lead to division where we drive one another into isolation. They cannot cause any one of us to drift into isolation where we are in danger of being devoured. Which is one of the reasons we're beginning a series next week called A Meaningful Presence. Because we want to talk about what it means, to, what it looks like to live in this way for one another under the protection of Jesus and offering the protection of Jesus out to our neighbors. Peter knows the lion is real and that we need one another to protect one another, but, but he knows more than that. He knows we need something more than simply just one another. We, we need to know why Peter ends the passage the way he did or the heart of the passage, why, why he can end the passage with this. Look at verse 11. To him, Jesus, be dominion forever and ever. So think about what Peter has just done. He has just said, hey, there's a roaring lion out there. What's a, what, what, what's a lion? The, um, the, the king of the animal community, this symbol of power and strength. And then a couple of verses later, he says to him be dominion. That word dominion, authority, power, strength. So there's a real lion out there, but to him, the symbol of strength and power, but to him be authority, power, strength, dominion. How can he possibly say that? Because this is what Peter knows. He knows that Jesus is the lion to end all lions. He knows that Jesus is the lion to end all lions. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But he is not a lion that devours the sheep. He is a lion who became one. Because he wasn't just a lion, he was a lamb. He was the lamb who was led to the slaughter. And because he was, he can become the lion to end all Lions, but he's not just a lion and a lamb, he's also a shepherd. He's the chief shepherd, the true shepherd, the good shepherd. He is the one protecting you. He is the one protecting us. He is the one fighting off lions and wolves and all that wants to devour you. He is the one protecting us. And when you see that, like when you open the scriptures and you see Jesus as the roaring lion, you see him as the sheep who has led the slaughter for you, and when you know he is your shepherd, he is the one protecting you, you know what you can do? You can cast your anxieties on him. You can cast your anxieties on him. And listen, this COVID season and all that has come with it has created mountains of anxiety in a lot of us. It has created new anxieties, anxieties that we didn't know could possibly exist inside us. And Jesus is saying, you can take all of those anxieties, all of the very real anxieties that the season has brought about, and you can cast them on me because I'm going to protect you. And there's nothing that I won't protect you through. E e even if it costs you your life, I will still protect you through it. Because I am the sheep who was slaughtered on your behalf. And I am your good shepherd. And so you can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. He is leading you. He is guiding you. He is the one protecting you. And you know how he's doing it? Through one another. Through pastors and the church, those who look out for the good of others, he's protecting you through you. And so lean into one another. Don't drive yourself into isolation or drive anyone else into isolation. Press into one another and experience the protection of the Good Shepherd, right here, among his people. You can trust him. Let me pray. 
Father, help us to trust the protection that we have in your Son. Help us to trust the Good Shepherd. That's what he is. He's the lion, he's the lamb, and he's the shepherd. He is the one guiding and protecting us. Help us. Help us to trust him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.